0: Um, welcome to another iGrain podcast. Uh, today we've got Andrew Kelso, our resident market expert, with us to give us a bit of a wrap-up on on recent recent news. Uh, mainly we thought we might just look into quickly uh, the, the USDA report and just see what that might mean um, in the coming weeks or or what came out of that report. Um Firstly, Andrew, would you? We, we have a lot of people coming on board, uh, Central, West, Northern, New South Wales. Uh, you're, you're extremely well known through the southern states and probably right across Australia. But for those who don't know you, could you just give us a brief inter- introduction on your experience? Um, you've been in the grain industry for a long time. You might just mention some of the places where you've been and worked and what you've seen throughout your career. Sure.
1: Uh, yes. So my background, everyone, I'm I had a long association in the grains industry. I worked with the Wheat Board when that was around for a long time. Um, I worked in, on the Asian export desk for 10 years. So I traveled extensively throughout Asia and was sort of responsible for all the wheat export sales from China through Southeast Asia and into the Indian subcontinent. So I did that for a long time. I then uh, worked in the trading division of the Wheat Board um, for a number of years and I was the trading manager there, um, looking after all of the domestic grain trading and also exports of uh, the non-wheat grains, which uh, the Wheat Board had the ability to do, so uh, canola and sorghum and barley. Uh, I then moved to a role in the domestic, uh, stock feed industry. I worked for Ridley for many years so I was the national procurement person so looking after all the buying of all the ingredients cereals and grains and the additives from Queensland through New South Wales into Victoria and South Australia and in more recent times I've been involved more in the domestic grain industry working for a small smaller storage and uh, operator in the Wimmera here in Victoria. So um, so that's my background and our major focus at the uh, today is uh, buying and selling delivered grain and DCT grain and legumes predominantly in the Victorian market. But I try and keep abreast of what's happening through Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria and to a lesser degree in South Australia and Western Australia.
0: Thanks, Andrew. And uh, those of you would probably be aware, Andrew writes our weekly market report um, that comes out late every week. A very popular report. If you're not getting that report, um, it goes out to I Grain Plus members. So talk to your account manager about that. But that's that's probably one of the most popular things. Uh, that 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 information information is very keenly sought after. So um, Andrew, we might just take a bit of a look at the USDA report, and if you could just give us a bit of a summary on on what's what what, what what's been released, some of the changes and, and observations that, that have come out of that report?
1: Sure. So uh, the report out earlier this week was an interesting one because prior to that report, the markets had rallied very strongly um, pretty much across the board, wheat, corn and soybeans, and also uh, canola in Canada and Europe. And that was on the premise that um, this report that, came out in February would be bullish, and it was going to be bullish for a number of reasons. Uh, The first one, I guess, was that uh, China had been buying very significant uh, tonnages of US corn. Uh, The week before last alone, they bought 7 million tonnes of US corn, and the market was taking the view that that would get reflected in the report which was uh, released early this week. Uh, and year to date uh, China's bought seventeen million tons of u s corn, and you know that's as that's as large a number of or largest tonnage of corn that i can that I can recall so uh China's also been buying very large volumes of u s soybeans um, uh, they're going to import almost hundred million tons again this year, and it was only a couple of years ago that 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 import figure had fallen to about eighty million tons so They've been back buying very large volumes of corn, soybeans, uh, sorghum as well, uh, barley as well. And I'll get to that in a minute because, as we all know, they haven't been buying the barley from Australia, but they have been buying barley from other parts of the world. So on the back of that, and in the other thing that you know, got this market excited prior to the report, and everyone's probably aware of this now, is that Russia has made a decision to... Um, introduced export uh, duties on wheat, corn and barley from early March for the next three or four months. And one of the reasons they're doing that is that they've been very aggressive in terms of their export program. And one of the outcomes is that grain uh, grain has now become tight in Russia. And the flow and effect is that that's pushed domestic prices higher. Farmers have slowed down their selling and that's pushed up. Uh, internal prices for major food staples such as bread and flour, so so to try and slow their export pro- program, they put these uh, export duties in place, so all of that leading into the report the report you know everyone was feeling well the report was going to be bullish but and once the report came out, people basically took the view it was a bit of a non event and uh, all these things that the USDA were meant to be bringing into the report, they actually didn't do. So um, so wheat, the wheat report was largely neutral, even corn. You know, the US did um, increase the exports of corn to China and, and they reduced their ending stocks by only 2 million tonnes. And one of the reasons they did that is because they lowered exports to a whole range of other markets. To the tune of about five million tonnes. So, at the end of the day, the U.S. Um, corn stocks position wasn't deemed to be as tight as everyone was thinking. So, basically, post the report, post the report, whether it was wheat, corn, or soybeans, rather than rallying, all the markets gave up some of the recent gains. So, that caught everyone a little bit by surprise. And and in the last couple of days, the markets basically been much more settled. But it certainly hasn't lifted, and, and there hasn't been the follow-through buying that everyone was thinking. So, so now that this report is behind us, probably what's going to happen, I think, is that the market will now switch its attention to, you know, the next set of events that are likely to come into play and influence, you know, the price movement. So, that will include things such as, you know, how and what progress we make with South American corn and soybean harvesting, which is just starting. Um, They've had some rain recently in both Brazil and Argentina, so the consensus is that we'll probably get better crops in that that part of the world. And so if we get large corn and soybean crops, that'll take some pressure off the the United States in terms of meeting all the current and nearby demand that they've been filling. We'll have to monitor that. The next thing that the market will have to think about is you know, what's happening with um, uh, the next uh, crop that's growing in Europe, uh, Russia, and the United States. All of those crops, or well, a lot of the winter cereal crops, uh, they've all got a good snow amount of snow cover at the moment. So you know, once we move into March, these crops will start growing again. And then we'll know, you know ha- how good or bad they are in through the March-April period. So the market will start thinking about that. Right at the moment, it's interesting. You know, there's there is certainly a premium in the nearby months. So, um, so for January, well we're into February now, but February through to April, May, June, the market across the world is paying a premium for grain compared to new crop prices. So. You know, in in Europe and and Russia and Ukraine, yeah, new crop wheat's probably thirty or forty dollars lower than if we were selling in the nearby months, and so we just need to be mindful of that. And, and in essence, what the market's saying and what that what it's hoping for is that there will be a recovery and a boost in grain production come July, August, when the next amount next round of harvesting takes place. And the final thing that we just need to be very mindful of, and it, it could be Yeah, it could go one of two ways, but as I touched on before, Russia's put these export duties in place from uh, the middle of March through to the end of June. And basically that's, as I said before, that's basically to limit the amount of additional grain that they can export. Um, The Russians are also making noises that they may, may extend those duties from July forward, albeit at lower rates. So, you know, depending on what happens to their crop Uh, and the size of their crop this year that might be uh, a supporting factor once we get into the middle of the year and so we just need to monitor that so there's quite a few things that potentially could be happening and I guess the final one is as we touched on before and I'll talk about it just for a moment is you know China. China has shown um, an innate um, ability to buy grain very well this year. They've bought as I said before, record volumes of US corn, very large volumes of US soybeans. They've basically absorbed all the sorghum that's been available to them from the United States. And the feeling is that once we get uh, into our sorghum harvest here in Australia, uh, they'll probably be there to buy Australian sorghum as well. So that's one of the reasons why we're seeing good support for domestic sorghum prices at the moment is because, well, one of the reasons is because the Chinese seem to be there to buy it. as I touched on before they certainly haven't been buying Australian barley and that's really made a big difference in terms of the, the price differential between feed and malt barley this past harvest normally you know malt barley trades at a premium to feed barley but with the absence of China paying that not buying any barley from Australia we've basically had a situation where the Price difference between molten and feed barley is zero. So, and clearly that's that's a disappointing outcome because, um, yeah, the Australian farmers have relied on China for a long time to buy malt barley. Having said that, China's been very active in buying barley from other parts of the world, from Europe, from Canada, and from Russia. And year on year, their barley imports aren't going to be materially uh, down compared to prior years, it's just that they've sourced it from other origins. But the flip side of that is that even though we're not selling barley to China from Australia, that we have been able to find new markets and additional markets. And yes, it's going out as speed, but it's certainly put a floor in and probably provided more support in the market than perhaps people were thinking back at harvest time. And as a result of that, the price of barley's held up pretty well, everything else being considered. And you know, there's new markets like Vietnam, uh, Thailand's buying more barley than they did in previous years. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, Australia's going to sell a lot of feed barley to Saudi Arabia this year. At, you know, at least two million tonnes, and it might be more, uh, because the barley's not available from Europe and Russia at the moment. So we're getting a bit of a free hit in terms of winning export business into that market. So um, yes, it's disappointing that the malt premium is not there, but from from a positive perspective, we are and have been able to sell much larger volumes of barley into the world market this year than perhaps people were suggesting we might be doing only a few months ago.
0: Just on why you're talking about China, Andrew? Do you just want to talk about some of the, the wheat numbers and what what we've sent to to China um, in December?
1: Yeah. So unlike um, unlike uh, the barley situation, uh, China still seems to have an appetite to buy Australian wheat. So uh, it was reported probably back in October last year that our exporters had sold. Uh, 600,000 to 1 million tons of wheat to china for shipment late in 2020 early 21 and that those those sales were then uh, validated with uh, abs reporting 800,000 tons of wheat shipments to china from australia in december so and we're probably going to have some more tonnages shipped in january and interestingly just over in the past few days there's Quite a lot of chatter going on that um, Australian exporters have been selling more wheat to China. So, so it, um, confirmed what the volumes are, but yeah, you know, maybe we've sold another half a million tonnes to a million tonnes, um, and that will become clearer once we see some export figures for February and March. So, but but the pleasing thing is that as as I said with barley, we've been successful in. Uh, gaining and selling plenty of barley into a wide range of markets. And the really pleasing thing this year from an Australian exporter's point of view is that with the inability of Russia to keep selling into a lot of the the Asian markets where Australia had lost market share over recent years because of the drought, we've now been able to recover and regain sales into a a wide cross-section of those markets. So whether it be Indonesia, the Philippines, Taiwan, Malaysia, and so it goes on. Um, Many of those countries um, have a real preference for Australian wheat. They like the white grain wheat because they can get better flour yields using Australian wheat. And now that we've got the ability and the availability of uh, additional wheat to sell into those markets without intense competition from some of the Russian and European markets, it's really given um, our export is the opportunity to regain and recoup some of those sales that have been missing for the past couple of years.
0: So that's been very pleasing. So, so thanks, Andrew. The, I guess just wrapping up to keep, keep this short and sweet, um, what should we be watching or what should we be looking out for in the next sort of month, month or two as we go into, in, into seeding and further on? What should we be watching in terms of market news or, or even, even domestically that what what may change the market moving forward from this point on?
1: Well, just one thing we haven't touched on is legumes. And maybe just before I go and answer that question, one of the things is that there's always seems to be something coming out of left field that, you know, maybe the market's not anticipating. So what we're seeing just in the short term in the last few weeks and, Uh, appears to be some drier conditions through parts of the Indian subcontinent and that's resulted in some uh, firmness in chickpea and lentil pricing and we're seeing quite solid interest certainly from the container market perspective in in those products so um, yeah that's where sometimes um, what's happening in those parts of the world aren't as visible and as easily recognizable to the marketplace but they're one of the things, so if you've got um, uh, some legumes like chickpeas and, and lentils at the moment, there seems to be good buying interest there if, if farmers are willing to uh, let some of those go. Um, you never quite know with those sort of products how much and how big the price movements will be, but certainly we've seen a lift over the past few weeks in both of those uh, legume products. So. In terms of what we need to look for over the next couple of months, well, clearly we'll need an autumn rain um, here in Australia to uh, allow farmers to get up and running from a planting point of view. We've, we've been lucky this year. We've had some good summer rains through Queensland, New South Wales, and even through Victoria and South Australia, which probably has put a bit of a moisture profile in the ground. Uh, the Bureau's updated its forecast for uh, March to May Uh, today and they're still optimistic that there'll be average to better than average rainfall for the next few months. So um, uh, let's hope that that eventuates and hopefully it will allow most growers to have uh, a good crop for a second year in a row after a couple of tough years, particularly through parts of eastern Australia. So in terms of what we need to look for overseas, well, it's much the same as I said before, it's planting conditions through many of the northern hemisphere countries. How do the crops come out of dormancy in um, the US, Russia and Europe? Um, Year on year the acres are going to be higher, um, certainly for wheat and barley in Europe uh, because they had a smaller crop this year and I think farmers will plant more acres. What we don't know in the US which will be interesting to monitor is that because the corn market has been so strong and corn prices are so strong, there's every likelihood we might see some um, uh, less area planted to spring wheat in, in the US and more acres going to corn and even soybeans because those markets are still very strong. So, and that's largely influenced by this strong buying program from the Chinese and and finally, we just need to see how things go in South America. You know, we need, we need, we, the market really does and is hoping to see good crops harvested through uh, Argentina and Brazil. And as I say, those harvests are just starting now. And obviously, you know, the grain, yeah, you know, soybean and corn stocks are, are tighter than they were 12 months ago. So they are relying on Argentina and Brazil to end up having good production outcomes. So. We'll monitor that over the next couple of months, and hopefully, that's what eventuates.
0: All right, that's great, Andrew. Thank you very much once again. That was an excellent wrap. I, I don't know how you do it, off the, so you seem to be able to do it off the top of your head. <laughs> that's a, uh, a lot of information there. Um, hopefully, listeners enjoy that and get something out of it. And as always, you can give us a call if you're. Yeah, looking for some additional information there, or or like I mentioned earlier, that reports out on a weekly basis. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Thank you again, and thanks, Andrew.
1: Now, thanks everyone for listening.